Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainer writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. So that's seven days after Thanksgiving, 2021. So how was you and Sabrina's holiday? Low-key. That's how we do holidays around here. Nice and quiet. I was suddenly picturing helmets with horns, but the other low-key. Okay. We usually do wear capes around the house, but that's uh, regular Monday through Friday garb. We don't have to get schnazzy for the the Thanksgiving holiday. Got it. Okay. Well, well, here at at Stadler Hill, Thanksgiving literally lingers in the air because I'm currently boiling down the carcass of what used to be a 16-pound bird in the crock pot so I can make turkey soup later this week. And over the, the past six days, Nancy and I have had roast turkey with all the trimmings. We had then had pilgrim sandwiches. I don't know if you've ever had those, the, where you do the soft sandwich roll and then you use cold turkey meat and stuffing and cranberry sauce and mayo. Oh, yeah. And then... All right, we did turkey salad. We chop up the white meat and the dark meat with mayo and celery. Then we had open-faced turkey sandwiches, turkey meat with hot gravy over sourdough bread. And yesterday it was turkey paninis. I'm not sure we're going to do the same thing for Christmas. This was a lot of turkey. That said, I have already procured my uh, black-eyed peas and collard greens for New Year's Day. In fact, Amazon delivered the collard greens earlier uh, earlier today. Well, you'll definitely have good luck. Do you observe that tradition? I only learned of that when I lived in Orlando back in the mid-'80s. Yeah, no, that was a New Orleans thing uh, that uh, we learned down there. So uh, in the north, we never did it. In the south, they mm-hmm. always do it. I got family that still does it. It is a requirement now. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we do participate in that for some strange reason. Um, if you're looking for other ways to get rid of your turkey, I always recommend – the uh, Thanksgiving waffle, where you take all of your leftover stuffing and put it in your waffle press, and then press it till it's nice and crisp and firm, and then layer it with uh, turkey and cranberry sauce. Oh, it's delicious. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Next year, after we, we put this one in the rearview mirror, yep. I will try that. Okay, folks, lots of Marvel-related news this week. And speaking of the news... The news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. We are 16 days out now from the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. Tickets for this John Watts movie went on sale at midnight, Monday, uh, November 29th. And did you see, Aaron, that demand for tickets for this third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie was so high it actually crashed domestic movie sites all over the place? I hear that they're being used to settle uh, terrorist uh, hostage situations. They just want to go see Spider-Man No Way Home, and and they demanded a whole plane full of people, and they demanded 50 tickets, I believe it was, to get there. They got a lot of wives and whatnot, a lot more people to get into it, but yeah. Uh, amazing wow. what uh, what those tickets are worth nowadays. It's it's better than Bitcoin. <laughs> ooh, ooh, okay. Fandango executives are saying they haven't seen this sort of advanced demand for tickets since Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker back in 2019, which is really welcome news to the movie theater chains all over North America. And uh, did you see where the movie theater owners got a, an additional bit of good news when Amy Pascal, a former head of Sony, who now rides herd on the Spider-Man film franchise for that studio, 
revealed just yesterday that she has plans for yet another Spider-Man film trilogy to follow Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. And if Amy has any say in the matter, this next set of films will star Tom Holland. Now, you kind of pointed out that this might be a, a touch premature? It's 66% true, 33.3% hot air. The true part mm-hmm. is, yeah, they're going to do another trilogy. I mean, they've been doing Venom here licking the TV screen in anticipation for his meeting with young Tom Holland. So, of course, they are going to do more movies. That should just go without saying. The fact mm-hmm. that Tom Holland is currently the the face on the screen that Venom is licking in anticipation should indicate that we're not going to do a recasting. And boy, Aren't we tired of recasting Spider-Man and having, well, this time we didn't have to lose Uncle Ben. But the only thing that's not real yet is whether or not it's going to be connected to the MCU, like Amy says. And the only way that that is going to be a provable fact or a a thing Mm. that we can point to and say, okay, it's really connected, is if the MCU embraces in turn. They can make all these different connections about, look, guys, we got the Vulture in our Morbius movie, and therefore we are connected. And it's like, yeah, you can hire an actor. I get that. And you can make Mm -hmm. a very convincing argument that you're connected to the MCU. But until Kevin Feige has a movie written where all of these spump characters come Mm -hmm. into an MCU film in return then it's a different story. So if Morbius shows up or Venom shows up in the you know next, I don't know, Loki series, mm-hmm. just out of nowhere, then fine, then they're part of the universe. But until, until then, she's just going to go, oh, yes, it's totally connected, and we're going to hire actors, and we're going to write scenarios that will show you, in fact, that we're connected. Okay, well, let's hear the exact quote that she dropped on Monday. This is not the last film we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. We're thinking of this as three films, and now we're going to going on to the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. Now... Kind of interesting, Uh, sources at Marvel Studios welcomed this announcement, though they cautioned that in spite of uh, Ms. Pascal's very upbeat talk, as Aaron mentioned here, there are no official plans yet for a new Spider-Man trilogy to follow Homecoming, Far From Home, and, and No Way Home at this time. Not yet, anyway. There have been reported some very preliminary talks between Sony and Disney With the ultimate goal here, and it's interesting, again, you mentioned Kevin Feige. Feige wants to keep Tom Holland's version of Peter Parker part of the MCU. And it's important to remember here that back in August of 2019, remember when this all fell apart for about six weeks? Mm -hmm. Evidently, what was happening is that Disney and Sony were fighting behind the scenes about how future Spider-Man films would be financed. Uh, with the the key understanding that Disney was going to step up its financial contribution with the understanding that it would then get a bigger chunk of the the back-end profits. And Sony just didn't want that to happen. And, And what really set that all in motion was that Avengers Endgame came out in April of 2019 and sold $2.7 billion worth of tickets worldwide. Spider-Man Far From Home comes out in theaters just nine and a half weeks later and sells $1.1 billion worth of tickets. So two films all by themselves sold $4 billion worth of tickets worldwide. And 
Disney now wants a bigger chunk of the pie because their thinking was, look, we helped launch the Tom Holland version of Peter Parker with Captain America Civil War back in May of, of 2016. It's now our time to wet our beak a bit more. And there was this really tense, like, six weeks. Wasn't there the story about Tom Holland actually calling Bob Iger and asking, can we revisit this idea? You know, because I really like working with you guys. The paychecks are awfully nice. <laughs> Well, there is that too. But yes, by September of 2019, there was an understanding in place that would allow MCU uh, characters like Doctor Strange to appear in Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, 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 speaking of which, we missed this story last show. November 12th, it was reported that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is undergoing significant reshoots. Production's underway in Los Angeles right now. They're shooting six days a week until the end of the year. One source to the trade said, even in the middle of production, Marvel is scheduling you for more shooting. Another source, it's like, we've had bigger reshoots on other MCU movies. But another person said, they're here till the end of the year. It sounds like a massive rewrite. Why? What triggered it? Well... It's not that one missing scene that we were talking about where Peter Jackson's jumping in his living room holding a broomstick for a, a half a second. If you're filming six days a week from now until the end of the year, that's significant footage. That's multiple scenes. That is something that has been either massively altered or just written out of thin air and, and is fresh material that needs to be captured. So something happened. Well, uh, let me just... I throw an additional piece of, of information here in the pile. They added Agatha to it, didn't they? It was Agatha all along in that one, too. I'm just going to say that WandaVision was, you know, that the interesting huh. thing is that, that supposedly um, they're, they're, you know, uh, Marvel tests, you know, I mean, Marvel's very discreet about testing, but Marvel tests and People who had seen WandaVision had very different expectations of this film as opposed to people who had not seen WandaVision. They may be addressing expectations, and that's all I'm going to put out there. Anyway, getting back to Sony's original deal with Disney regarding Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the one that got worked out in September of 2019, the understanding between the two studios was you get the MCU characters in Spider-Man No Way Home, and we in turn get Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man and Peter Parker in one yet-to-be-named MCU film, and then we're done. And as you mentioned, you know, this is the whole point of, of you know, here's Sony been ramping up its own MCU, you know, <laughs> spump, you know, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. And this is getting underway with Venom, Venom Let There Be Carnage, Morbius, which is, by the way, still slated to come out January 28th of next year. So what happened? What I've been told is on the heels of Venom Let There Be Carnage only selling, and again, it's amazing, you have to use the word only in front of a number like $469 million, but only $469 million worth of tickets had, were sold worldwide for the Venom sequel versus the $856 million that the original Venom earned just two years earlier. And evidently, executives at Sony were suddenly having second thoughts about going it alone, especially in this, is the pandemic actually over or not 
distribution and, and exhibition environment. Which now brings us to Tom Holland, who you have to understand that on the heels of the completion of Spider-Man, you know, uh, No Way Home, his employment contract with Sony was effectively wrapped up. I mean, he still owed Marvel Studios one more MCU film, but you know, he was done with Sony. And so now here's that studio talking about three additional Spider-Man movies, which would involve Tom signing another deal with Sony and Marvel, one that ideally for Mr. Holland would have far better terms. And so this is what Tom said to the press just yesterday, Aaron. Listen, all I'll say is there we have some very, very exciting things to be talking about. I, I don't know what these things are or what they will transpire to be, but it looks like an incredibly bright future ahead. And as I said before, Spider-Man will, will forever live in me. And, um, and <laughs> so, so uh, I can gonna, share with you that something very, very exciting is about to happen. And then B, I have no idea what that thing is uh, or how it exists without knowing anything about it, but uh, I assure you it is both very exciting and unknowable at the same time. And uh, yes, this new Maserati I purchased here with my Spider-Man money <laughs> will be with me until I crash it around a lamppost or whatever. To be fair here, remember, this is Tom Holland who is, whether we believe it or not, spoiled the name of Far From Home. And if he's being overly cautious this time around, there, there may be a reason. Also, a worth noting here, my understanding is Amy Pascal wants to get this deal locked up before Spider-Man No Way Home arrives in theaters on December 17th. Evidently, Amy's fear is that if this John Waters, uh, excuse me, John Watts, <laughs> that would be an, a, a that, really That would be a very interesting know, Spider-Man Sp movie. Spider-Man yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I, let's, let's start let's... petitioning for that. Hashtag John Waters <laughs> Spider-Man film now, please. Yes, please. You know, uh, too bad Divine's no longer with oh. us because uh, she would have made a great Aunt well, May. The next twenty minutes are going to be of this podcast are going to be devoted to fan casting this atrocity. Let's go for it! Come on. <laughs> okay. All right. So anyway, this John Watts movie. Uh, that, that, it, that the thinking is, it does as well as industry insiders think it will. Now, now some folks are suggesting we're talking about Infinity War, Endgame-level ticket sales. But other folks are saying, look, with the Omicron variant now raising its ugly head as we head into the holiday season, those sorts of box office expectations just are not realistic. That it's entirely possible this movie will make a billion dollars worldwide, but not two billion. So Amy wants to get this done before No Way Home opens, because if it does as well as expected, you know, people will go into the negotiation with artificially high financial expectations and corporate greed will kill the deal. If, on the other hand, everyone can sit down prior to December 17th, while Spider-Man No Way Home is, is something of an unknown quantity, it will be possible to hammer out a deal where all parties could, in theory, walk away happy. But it's sometimes hard to track the corporate decision-making process. I mean, for example, just this past week, three different stories broke in regard to Hawkeye, Marvel Studios' latest limited series for Disney+. Plus. So Variety had a story this past week about a survey that showed that when it came to why people had subscribed to Disney+, Plus, over 50% of those who responded to the survey said it was the limited series that Marvel Studios was pursued 
producing for the subscription streaming services. WandaVision, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki. That had been a huge part of the deciding factor to actually subscribe to Disney. On the heels of that story, there came another story in the trades that said that viewership of Hawkeye's premiere on, on November 24th was down 40% from Loki's premiere, which, which, remember, happened back on June 9th. So that's bad news? Eh, not necessarily. you got to remember, November 24th is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Millions of people are traveling on those days, not sitting at home watching streaming services. Then... You have to take into consideration the story that was just published this past Monday, which stated that Hawkeye's premiere, as well as a, an illegally downloaded version of Venom Let There Be Carnage, was this past week's most pirated title. So among people who didn't don't, don't like paying for things, <laughs> Hawkeye and Venom Let There Be Carnage were hugely popular. So... See what I'm saying? That the news about Hawkeye is just all over the place. I think that this limited series is an enormous success, hugely into entertaining. I've been enjoying the hell out of it. And when Aaron and I get back from this brief commercial break, we're going to talk in depth about episode three, which just dropped today. So just warning you folks, there are going to be spoilers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started here, I did want to share something from an article from the winter edition of Disney 23 magazine, which just arrived here at the house yesterday. Zach Johnson got to interview Trin Tran, the producer of Hawkeye. And over the course of this article, Aaron, Trin addressed some of the fan theories that are now circulating about this new limited series from Marvel Studios. And Tran went on to say, I try not to read too much into it, but it is fun at times seeing how fans are coming up with what they think is happening based on what they can piece together. Sometimes they're spot on, while other times I wonder how on earth some of these conclusions came about, which is kind of ironic given episode three and how we were just talking about, uh, I, I always have trouble with Vincent's name. You, Vincent Don D'Onofrio. Duh. Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, duh. And then Nofrio. Duh, Nofrio. Okay, got it. So we were just talking, you know, on last week's show about, you know, how Vincent was on social media saying, you know, talking about how much he enjoyed Hawkeye. And there were all these rumors about how the Wilson Fisk kingpin character that he'd established over on Netflix Daredevil series would soon be popping up on Hawkeye. So what did you make of the flashback that kicked off? this week's episode well i uh am the sherlock holmes of hand model identification <laughs> and so i can say with absolute certainty that that was vincent d'onofrio's hand that was uh caressing that young girl's cheek and with loving affection and it was also his laugh i believe his little chuckle sounded very mm -hmm. d'onofrio-esque in mm -hmm. its mirth and playfulness 
And uh, finally, the last breadcrumb I have to mm-hmm. munch on is, uh, did you happen to notice the name of the Fat Man Garage that uh, I, one of the scenes took place? I was going to ask you about that, yes. Yeah. Could that be a little uh, yeah. side reference to him? Now, I mean, there's so many th- wonderful ideas that stem from this, because what if the kingpin left a, a trail of breadcrumbs for the Ronin to follow to eliminate his competition, making the kingpin the last man standing, as it were, in a, a criminal underworld? You know, what if, because I mean, you know, part of his game is his, his ability to move the chess pieces the way that he wants them to. He's got to have a, a master plan. It's not always about physicality, although it does come to that from time to time. But he's still mm-hmm. got to be, you know, just as much brains as he is uh, brute force. So I, I, want, I want him to have a significant role in the upcoming part. Even if it's in the shadows, in the background, I want him to be a manipulator. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Same thing here. And, and what I, I've loved so far about the Hawkeye is the way the story has unfolded. Wasn't it Clint talking with Kate about, uh, or he, he was talking in sort of a third person about what Ronan had done in the past and sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, when it came to the Draxuit Mafia, there was somebody in charge of them, someone bigger and someone scarier. Right. And Maya all but had that very same conversation with, with her lieutenant. So the pieces are, are moving around the board. I still want to know where that watch is. Right. Especially with Clint actually doing the callback in the diner to the effect of that he's concerned that stuff from the Avengers compound may be out there. He's just worried about his porn collection because he did have a big <laughs> stash of pornography tucked away at the compound. He's just afraid that people are, you know, they'll go through your search history if they find your laptop, stuff like that. He doesn't want anyone to find out about that kind of thing. Oh, see, now <laughs> that, that, which brings me, get it, see, this would never have come up in the two-hour-long version of the Hawkeye movie, which, by the way, I, I, Trent did an interview with a Hollywood reporter this past week, and, and thanks, by the way, to a friend of the show, Bioreconstructive, for bringing this to my attention. But they actually talked about the earlier version of Hawkeye and and how, as they were looking at this project, again, this is a trend talking, that we decided to move Hawkeye from the feature side over to Disney Plus for creative flexibility. The big question was, how are we going to fit all of this into a two-hour time frame? We had an Avenger whose backstory we hadn't quite had the time to explore yet. We also had to introduce a new character, uh, Haley Stanfield's Kate Bishop, as well as allow time for them to bond and create the special dynamic that everyone finds so appealing in the comics. So moving it over from the feature side of Marvel Studios over to the Disney Plus operation gave them six hours, three times as much screen time, which really gave us the creative flexibility we needed to tell that story. But that said, they didn't stint in any way. I mean, that car chase today? Okay, let me ask you before we jump into the car chase. Out of yep. the decades of mm-hmm. entertainment reporting you've done in your lifetime, how many times have mm-hmm. you seen a car chase in either a movie or a TV show? I mean, if it was Miami Vice, it was weekly, right? <laughs> Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Boom. True, Every single true, week you needed to true. have a, a car chase. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were able to do the car chase and, and you know, she wants to jump in the old uh, Dodge Charger there and he's like, no, I don't mm-hmm. want to wreck that. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that it ends up in the car chase, still smashed to heck, was very, very sad to see that wrecked. But it was still a very mm-hmm. entertaining car chase with the arrows and the explosions and the gadgetry and the, the talking back and forth, even though one can't hear half the dialogue half the time. We've seen thousands of car chases, but that was still a good time. That was still a good time. And more to the point, if you go back and watch it at the start of the car chase, there is a shot inside of the interior of that car where the camera is basically free floating and in, in such a way and you you do more than a, a 360 pass just to establish who's where where they're traveling that center i mean it was hugely impressive but you were mentioning the the hearing loss and clint using losing his hearing aid over the chunk of the story honestly i think one of my favorite scenes out of this particular episode was when Nate called his dad on the cell phone and yeah. and the, the only way that he could communicate with his son is if Kate stepped in and was scribbling the notes in the pad. And what I loved about it is they reestablished the ticking clock. It's like, Dad, we're going to be doing the Christmas movie marathon. Are you going to be home for this? And it's like, well, no, but I'll be there for ugly sweater night. And it was a, also, it was a great scene to watch Jeremy do that, that, to, to watch, you know, a dad who clearly was torn. He had to clean up Kate's mess, but at the same time wanted to be home with his family, which when they were talking about working on this episode, again, this is another interview with, with Tran, that the holiday setting of Hawkeye is, is not an accident. It was very, very deliberately done. Talked about how uh, when we were brainstorming talking the story out a couple of years ago, we were trying to figure out how to make this series set it apart from WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and one way is to set it around the holiday times. And out of all the characters, it made sense that Clint Barton's story to be told around this time of year was because he's a family guy. He's one of the few Avengers with kids. And after the fallout of what happened in Endgame, when he lost his kids for five years, became Ronan, and then got them back, this is the first Christmas that he was going to get to spend with his family. And so the big question of the series is, is he going to make it home in time in order to do that? And that's the huge weight he's dealing with. By the way, if you have not watched yet the Marvel Studios Legends for Hawkeye, please do so. It's only 11 minutes long. And what's interesting is it actually starts off. They actually pulled the audio from the speech in the diner from this week's episode about how I'm not a role model for anyone. And they also remind you that, that Florence Plug's Yelena character from Black Widow is still, she still hasn't come out of the canvas. I mean, we've got Clinton Kate dealing with Echo right now, or Maya, and Yelena is still out there about to, to step onto this. Speaking of which, what is your take on, on what they're doing with, with Maya and Echo, especially knowing that Marvel's already announced that we've got an Echo series coming. She's still really kind of a villain at this point, right? Yeah, but I mean, we've had villains in the past who have switched sides that we've come to grow and love, such as Gamora and Nebula, uh, the Mm -hmm. sisters and daughters of Thanos who've gallivanting around the galaxy, causing all sorts of mayhem in their younger days are now noble heroes. So, yeah, we can always see someone 
do the opposite of the fall from grace, the rise from the ashes sort of thing. So what's great about the Marvel Studios Legends is that, that they actually show the speech that Clint gives to the Scarlet Witch in Avengers, Ultron. You know, look, we're dealing with killer robots, uh, you know, an army of robots, and I'm the guy with the arrows, but I'm still going outside there. And if you come outside, you're an Avenger. They also include the speech where Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow talks about how it was Clint who was sent to take her out, who saw something and recruited her. So it'll be interesting if, if to see if that plays out over these next three episodes. But again, I, there's just a part of me in a weird sort of way that that's sad that we're halfway through. We got three episodes left, and I'm really hoping that Clint makes it home for the holidays, but I'm... I'm I'm excited to see, you know, where, where Kate Bishop and all her talk of branding, you know, goes when she takes over for Hawkeye. There's a small part of me that is is happy that Marvel uses only as many episodes as they need to to tell the story that they want to tell. But there's a small part of me that's also frustrated that it's not consistently the same number because I want to go in, like if you go in and get eight episodes from one show and then six from another, you're like, hey, I'm getting screwed out of two shows. What's the deal? Why are you being cheap with me, Disney? And we know that's not the case. It's just what it's they don't need the extra two episodes to tell this particular story. And that's fine, but it, as a fan, you get used to a certain like you know, it's just like for some reason movie makers always believe that an hour and a half, that 90-minute runtime is the ideal thing. You get into two hours, we gotta make some trims, we gotta cut it a little bit so we can get that extra mm-hmm. showing in in the mm-hmm. theater. And uh, once you kind of break the rules and, and start doing things on streaming, I mean, if they wanted to, they could release it as a four and a half hour movie if they wanted to. This is true. But, you know, again, you also have to, to do the 30,000 foot view and remember that all of this stuff got produced, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, think about just the stories about when they're working on Falcon and the Winter Soldier and they were all set to get on the plane to go down and shoot in Puerto Rico and then they're. There was that earthquake, and it's okay. <laughs> Change of plan. You know, we're headed to Hungary, and then the pandemic happens, and we all go home and wait eight months before we come back and shoot. And just the folks who were working on uh, What If, and they had a 10 season blocked out. And in the end, it's like, look, we can get you nine with everybody working from home. You know, we can meet our deadline, but we can get you nine and we'll just bump this episode to the season after that when we'll do 10 episodes. So sometimes it's just sort of like, it's like particularly the past year and what people have been dealing with. I'm just grateful to get what I get. And speaking of of things that I'm I'm grateful I got, I just picked up a, a book, which I have to be really careful when I tell you what the title of it is. The way they have done the covers so they can display it at every Barnes and Noble on the planet <laughs> is it's it's called Bad Mother and, and then Samuel Jackson's head is in just in the right position that you can see F U and then R but but the rest of it you can't see so but this book is the life and movies of Samuel Jackson the coolest man in Hollywood it is written by Gavin Edwards uh, came out from Hatchet Books back in October of this year. The reason I picked it up is I wanted to find out more about how he became Nick Fury in the MCU. And Aaron, you're sort of familiar with this story, right? Yeah, I was on board when they started uh, doing the whole Ultimate line of comics. I had to get all the first issues of all of that and noticed, hey, Nick Fury looks a lot like Sam Jackson. What up with that? 
character of Nick Fury is introduced back in 1963 when, when Marvel Comics pub- published issue number one of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. And at that time, Nick Fury is a white guy with a with an eye patch. Uh, in fact, he was so white that when Fox made a TV mo- movie called Nick Fury: Agent of Shield back in 1998, the title character was played by David Hasselhoff. And uh, I gotta admit to having a copy of that movie solely for the guilty pleasures of my wife. Ooh, okay. It was I a don't. gift, and <laughs> and she didn't know it existed until she held it in her hands, and then she went, oh, "There's a movie." Of this, starring David Hasselhoff? And then she pushed me down a flight of stairs so she could make her way to the DVD player and insert it as quickly as humanly possible. And for the next uh, hour and a half to two hours, we watched David Hasselhoff with an eye patch and a cigar. And uh, it was tremendous fun for one of us. And the other one uh, tried to heal from being pushed down the stairs moments earlier. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Okay, so again, <laughs> Marvel launches its Ultimates line in, in, in 2001. And explain here, because there have been decades of continuity right. that the company now steps away from, right? Or... No, no, it's the cherry pick, your greatest hits, is what you're okay. doing here. You've been creating albums from different artists, and the artists are like the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, and, you know, that's, and, and they've been putting out albums, but only three or four of them songs were chart toppers. So you get to cherry pick at this point. And part of the goal of Ultimates was people are just too having too hard of a time jumping in on a new storyline because it's filled with these little boxes that say, to see how uh, the Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, go back to Spider-Man issue number 173 from 20 years ago. And people don't feel like they are able to get everything out of a story when every five panels there's a go back 20 years and look up this event that happened once upon a time. Mm -hmm. So how do we Mm -hmm. get rid of all of that and have a clean slate where everybody can just jump in if you're a new Marvel person? Like if we want to catch you for the first time, how do we Mm -hmm. do it? And so they came up with Ultimates, and Ultimates was basically we're starting Marvel today. And this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But they started it, like, say, in the year 2000, and Peter Parker was a teenager in high school. He was getting picked on. He get bit, got bit by a spider. Uncle Ben dies, and we're off and run into the races. Mm-hmm. Um, the Avengers team up, and I swear one of the funnest thing about the Avengers is nobody believes that Thor is the god of thunder throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing because he's just a big drunk and he just likes to drink beer and talk a big game. But it's mm-hmm. at the end when things are going crazy, and then he summons lightning, and then they're all like, oh, Th- oh Thor! <laughs> that Thor? Oh, of course. I don't know how we didn't make that connection earlier. Uh, and and it's, it's really quite, quite funny. But um, they get to take only the best moments from the old 616 era of of uh, Marvel comics. And then they get to retell those stories even better because now they get to play with your expectations of what, you know, happened and what little minor tweaks along the way that they, they make in these storylines. And it was a fantastic read for new fans and old fans. So that was ultimates. Okay. Now you had working on at least part of the, the Ultimates project. You had writer Michael Marler 
and artist Brian Hitch. And they, uh, as part of the, uh, the Life and Times of Samuel Jackson, they talk about why they decided to make this character the spitting image of Samuel Jackson. And is that I wanted the African-American Nick Fury to be the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. because the closest thing in the real world to this job title was held by Colin Powell at the time. And I thought that Nick Fury sounded like one of those great 1970s black exploitation names. So the whole thing coalesced for me into a very specific character, an update of the cool American super spy that, that Jim Sterneko uh, developed in the 1970s. And... And so why Samuel Jackson? It's like, look, Sam is famously the coolest man alive. And both myself and Brian Hitch just liberally used him without any kind of permission. What we didn't know is that Sam was an avid comic fan and knew all about it. And can you talk a little bit about this part of the story, Aaron? Because Sam is literally collecting the books and looking at them. And it's like, did I give them permission and forget? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very clearly Samuel L. Jackson. I think they even, I don't, I know they don't use the MF vernacular mm -hmm. in it, but they might have put a mother dash mm -hmm. and then let it, let it go from there. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it looks like Sam Jackson so much that mm -hmm. even the casual reader goes, wow, Nick Fury, Sam Jackson, who knew? And uh <laughs> Years and years later, after we're all watching Iron Man and the end credit scene shows up and all of a sudden Sam Jackson shows up, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, Nick Fury in the house, yo. They didn't, nobody had to tell them. They just saw that it was Samuel L. Jackson paying a late night visit to uh, Tony Stark. And it's like, well, who else could he play in? But it has to be the most badass version of Nick Fury ever to be. Sorry, David Hasselhoff, you can go to Germany and sing a song about it. They love you there. <laughs> well, all right. And, and again, what's great, you've nailed it. That's the great part of this story. So Sam calls his agent and his manager, who, same thing, did we sign a deal? You know, how was, how was this happening? So they contact Marvel. And they threaten legal action over the unauthorized use of his likeness. But, but Jesus, Marvel's that's brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to start using other people's likeness illegally and be like, hey, I can make you a sweet contract if you just sign here. Of course, my last name isn't Disney, so it doesn't carry as much weight. But damn, that's genius. But again, you've nailed the, the, the part of the story that Marvel's counter offer was like, look, if we ever make a movie where Nick Fury appears, you will play the role. And, you know, it, it, as Milner points out... Betty, get, kind of, get, get Bob in here with a pen and pencil. We need some <laughs> uh, Nick Fury script. Shut out quickly, please. Very, very quickly. Before he leaves the well, room quickly. <laughs> well, you got to remember, this is 2001. This is Marvel still coming out of bankruptcy. So it just... The idea that... They're going to make movies is ridiculous, you know, but now we jump ahead to 2008. We get Iron Man. And as you mentioned, they kept their promise. They get Nick Fury in, in a brief credit at the end. And, and Feige talks about we actually we deliberately put it at the end so it wouldn't be distracting. But to keep the secret, John Favreau shoots the, the scene with a skeleton crew and actually kept it off of. The preview prints, the first time anybody saw this scene was actually at the Iron Man premiere. And as Favreau said, it's only fun if it's a surprise. 
And then two years later, Marvel turns around and signs, uh, you know, Jackson to a long-term contract. At that point, he was signed to be in nine additional Marvel movies. And so jump ahead, Mark Milner finally meets Jackson. And the first thing that Milner does is he, you know, apologizes to Jackson to the effect, I'm sorry, we exploited your appearance, you know, your, your appearance in the comic. And, and Jackson replies, F no man, thanks for the nine picture deal. And he didn't appear in nine Marvel movies, Aaron. He appeared in 11. And in fact, uh, but kept lobbying a Marvel to keep him in the role. And that's where we got, is it Secret Invasion? That's the limited series that's coming? Yeah, with that fantastic beard and no eye patch no more. He probably got a robot eye. Because that's what they do in space. They give you robot eyes. And Jackson is insisting that he will be happy to wear... Uh, well, now that the eye patch is off, but he was talking about, you know, before they had the look locked for Secret Invasion, he was going to be happy to wear the, the eye patch for another decade into his 80s. But what's interesting is Samuel L. Jackson's one regret about the character, he wishes that Nick Fury could swear. Because, you know, nobody, you know, slings profanity quite as well as Samuel L. Jackson. But, but anyway, again, uh, that book is the life and movies of... Samuel L. Jackson, the coolest man in Hollywood, and you know, you know, you know I, about his other book, the the Go to, to Sleep. Yes, okay, yes. Right. In fact, what's it's so funny is if you if you go to Amazon, oh, others have also I, purchased, and that will be right well, next to it. Well, no, if you, if you type in Samuel L. Jackson, that children's book, Go to F the Sleep, is like the first thing to come up. Yeah, you know, so. Heartwarming. You should get it for all of your children. It's very, very appropriate. Well, those of us who have actually tried to put a small child to sleep, that, that, yes, that is the refrain that comes to mind. So, well, anyway, that is going to do it uh, for this week's MUD, folks. I am sure when Aaron and I gather again next week for episode four of Hawkeye, or one would hope that Kingpin finally had come on the canvas at that point, but. Likewise, Yelena. I almost have a feeling that she's not going to show up till the end. Like, there's going to be little... Dr- I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. it seems like we've got a lot to, to cover and only three episodes left. And it's going to be, well, we need to know more about Echo and what mm-hmm. her character is going to end up being. Uh, and if we get a Wilson Fisk in there, well, we better use him for at least two full episodes, damn it. <laughs> and I still want to know where that watch is or more to the point. Yeah, What's you got the that. Deal yeah, there's, that there's all kinds of stuff that needs examining before uh, Elena shows up to throw a whole monkey wrench into the works. But uh, yeah, only three more episodes. I feel, I feel like I want more already. It's like you're watching the last slices of the pizza go at a very large party that only ordered one pizza. And you're like, ah. I came hungry to this party, and the pizza's almost gone. Damn it. Well, if you have any insights between now and then, we, uh, any chance you'll post them on social media? And if so, how can people find you on social media? Uh, find yourself a little, uh, a little piece of parchment, a quill, and a nice bottle of ink on that piece of parchment. Write the word at Azaprod, and then go to a local pond that just happens to coincidentally be called Twitter, and uh, tie the parchment up into a little piece uh, around a rock and throw that rock into the pond called Twitter and uh, we'll be connected. We'll be friends forever. Swear to God. I 
do not think it works that way, but okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I haven't upgraded. I'm still on the first, like the beta version of Twitter when you just would write notes and tie it to a rock and then throw it across. It, it only works if you're like literally neighbors. You have to be within a stone's throw. I don't know if people know that's oh, well, where that came from, but in the first version of Twitter, the beta version, which I'm still using and it works just fine. Thank you very much. We, you have to be within a stone's throw. That's when we upgraded to birds. We would start tying the, the messages to birds, but they had to be African swallows instead of European swallows because they had a better carrying capacity. We learned this from coconuts done by the British years ago. They did coconut experiments, but I digress. A piece of paper, tie it to a rock, toss it into a pond called Twitter. We'll be friends forever. Let's see. Uh, us social media. Nancy wants me to remind you that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And quick question. Are you going to do the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home thing? I, you know, because the weird thing is Nancy and I went out on Monday uh, to see Encanto yeah. And we caught like a matinee in the afternoon and it, there were four of us in the theater. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and especially with, with Omicron, you know, sort of looming, I was just wondering your thoughts, you know, are you, are you going to try or what are you going to do? Yes. Actually, uh, the wife is interested in seeing this one, which was rather surprising. She saw the trailer and was like, I am down for whatever it is that they're trying to sell me. Are we going mm-hmm. to see this in the theater on opening night? And I was like, what happened to my wife? So, yeah, I think there's a good possibility. Now, if it actually is sold out in many, mm-hmm. many theaters, then I might have to wait a few days and conveniently time the situation to where I can go see it. So maybe not opening night, but maybe a few nights afterwards when things have settled a little bit. I think you and I are on the same page there. We, I'm, I, you know, thinking very much opening weekend. You know, hang right. back, but look at say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that, that that week. And well, I loved what they did with the Omicron and the Transformers movies and the Omicron Cube and all that. <laughs> I I don't want to get it myself. I I like the visual effects of it, but uh... <laughs> as a plot device, it's great. As a disease, I don't. I got Okay, good. All you all Spark fans out there, please send those notes to Aaron. Okay, well. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back with a new mud next week.